Well, good evening and welcome uh, to a service from Baglu Free Church. Um, we're going to begin a four-week study on Gideon, uh, one of the famous uh, judges that we find in the Old Testament. Uh, but before we get to Judges chapter 6, I want to read a short section from Ephesians chapter 2 and then we'll pray. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Let's pray together. Lord, our God, we thank you that your word contains that word of saving grace, that we discover in the Bible how despite our sin and rebellion, despite the fact that by nature we are spiritually dead, because of our transgression and our sin against you, despite our slavery to evil forces, to the devil and to sin, despite our desire to satisfy our own flesh, that because of your great love, because of your great mercy, you sent your son Jesus to be that saviour that we need, to make us alive with him and to save us by your grace, to raise us up with Christ and to give us every spiritual blessing in him. Lord, we need your word in our life. We need your word to convict and challenge us. We need your word to teach us, to humble us, to encourage us. We need your word in order that we might be saved. And so as we come to consider um, your word together, and may you send your spirit uh, to give light and to give life to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll be in Judges chapter 6 uh, together. It's a, a lengthy chapter, uh, but with uh, lots going on and hopefully lots that we can learn uh, from also. Uh, so, Judges chapter 6. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza, and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. 
I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak and Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If now I have found favour in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realised that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. That same night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning, when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished, with the Asherah pole beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son, he must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jerob Baal that day, saying, Let Baal contend with him. Now all the Midianites, Amalekites and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abiezrites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher, Zebulun and Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet them. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. 
He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with this fleece. But this time, make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. Amen. This is God's word. Now, um, today we're thinking about the fact that this sermon, we find it, comes before salvation. Sermon before salvation. Um, I wonder, have you ever found yourself saying uh, to another person, I don't need a lecture right now? Or sometimes you might say that. Well, we could perhaps imagine um, if uh, someone's walking too close uh, to the edge of a riverside and they happen to stumble and fall into the river, um, that person doesn't need a lecture, they just need pulled out. Or if you're stranded uh, in your car by the roadside, when your mechanic comes and he comes with uh, a list of wise sayings on car care, uh, you might find yourself, I don't need a lecture right now, I just need to get moving. Sometimes the problem seems obvious, the need seems urgent, uh, so therefore we think this is the time for help. Now, I wonder if Gideon and his generation thought that. Here they are, seven years uh, of misery at the hands of the people of Midian. And then they cry out in pain to God. But what's God's response? First he sends them a preacher, not the freedom fighter they're hoping for. Now why is that? It's a really important question uh, that we'll think about today. The answer is that God wants to tackle the root problem uh, in their heart. He wants to get to the heart of the matter, uh, which is far deeper than temporary social distress. Uh, and what we need to understand is that God's desire and God's design, they don't change. God would want us to see, just as he wanted Gideon's generation, to see the danger of sin. So that we see when he extends salvation from spiritual death as a gift, that we see that as good news. And God will still use his word in order to convict people, to convict us of our sin, to show us our forgetfulness of him, to expose our idolatry that goes on in our hearts in order, ultimately, that we return to Jesus. So today, as we think about Judges 6, God would use this story in the life of Gideon in order to reveal uh, to you and to me today, our own sin and weakness and our need of the Saviour. And he would also, with the help of the Spirit, reveal Jesus as the greater deliverer than Gideon. Uh, so that we might trust him, that our trust for him and our love of him would grow. Um, so it's a big chapter, lots to cover, so let's dive in. And let's think, first of all, of God's criticism. That's what we focus on in the first ten verses. Remember? Uh, verse uh, 7 onwards, we see sermon before salvation because God wants their hearts. Uh, their uh, immediate problem, uh, they're being oppressed and impoverished, but God probes deeper. And that's his kindness uh, to his own people to expose the deeper spiritual problem that lurks within so that true healing might come. Uh, we might think perhaps of 
visiting a, a GP. Uh, we have a presenting problem. Uh, but then uh, the doctor uh, begins to ask some questions um, and then um, sends us away and runs some tests. And between those questions and those tests, it reveals a, a deeper problem, perhaps a problem that requires surgery. It is a kindness to probe beyond the surface. And God uses his word in particular to his people through his prophet, his preacher, eh, to probe forgetfulness and idolatry. Um, so let's look at um, what they have forgotten. Verse 8, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. I delivered you from all your oppressors. I drove them out and gave you your land. I wonder, just as Israel had forgotten God, do we forget God as our creator? That God has made us in his image that we might know him, enjoy him and love him and that we would show loyalty and obedience to him. I wonder too if we forget God is our provider. Um, just as uh, Gideon or Gideon's generation was reminded that God had provided uh, rescue and a land for them, every good gift that we enjoy today and every day of our life comes from our God. But when we forget that, what follows is a loss of gratitude to God. We think, well, this is all my stuff. And do we forget God as saviour? In which case we become cold to Jesus. He doesn't seem like good news. We don't need him and his salvation. Or as Christians, we can become complacent. We can lose sight of the wonder of the fact that, as, as Paul said in Ephesians, that though we were spiritually dead and spiritually slaves to sin and heading for, for destruction, God in mercy and love sent Jesus and Jesus has rescued us. We need to be reminded about our forgetfulness. What about our heart idols? You know, for, for them it's Baal and Asherah, but what about us? What are the what are the heart idols in, in my life and in your life? They can be anything that we look to uh, for our source of identity. Uh, our source of salvation, our source of comfort that is not God. For example, money is recognised by Jesus as perhaps the dominant idol. And isn't it easy for us to think that money makes us somebody? I am what I own or I am because I consume, because I have all this stuff, then I am a, a somebody, this is me. We can also look to our money to give us salvation. Uh, we can buy our way, so we think, to security, to prosperity or buy our way out of trouble. We can look to money to provide comfort for us. Now, like the parable Jesus told of, of the rich fool who said, take life easy, eat, drink and be merry, not recognising that his, his life would be taken from him that very night. See, we are made in the image of God and we are to find our identity from him. God has sent Jesus to be our saviour and we are to look to him for salvation. God sends the spirit to be our comforter and he is to be our comfort. But we can so easily 
put God to one side in order to place our hope in an idol. Often in, in Israel, they had a, a sort of a God plus the other idols theology, kind of, um, well, we'll worship God, but we'll also worship these uh, false gods just in case, or they, just in case they, they work. And we can do that. We can find ourselves running to created things, placing our hope and our, our value, our sense of significance or, on another person or, or another thing. You and I, we were made to find our identity, salvation and comfort from God, to look vertically, to look up. But when we forget, it's when we look around, we look horizontally for them. To gods that are too small that cannot save. And so God's word comes uh, to these people who are, are suffering misery uh, and God's word goes deeper and God's word cuts deep and that's a kindness. As God looks to bring repentance, they would turn uh, away from sin and, and self back to God. That he would, that they would um, then be restored into fellowship with him. That there would be renewal in their hearts, true spiritual worship going on. And that's his desire for each one of us also. So that was God's criticism. But then, um, verses 11 to 24, let's think about God's deliverer. Perhaps we can imagine Gideon. We can imagine the nation perhaps asking this question over the, the, the seven years of, of misery. Where is God when you need him? Maybe you find yourself asking the same question. Some unexpected circumstance, some difficulty in your life, perhaps even a, a traumatic event. And you can find yourself asking, where is God when you need him? Well, what we'll see in this section God's word is that God gives Gideon a really precious gift. He gives him a promise. And that promise is this one. I am with you. The point being that we can deal with a lot when we know that to be true in our own experience. And that's a promise that God would give to each one of us as we're trusting in Jesus. So this section deals with the call of Gideon uh, to be the next judge um, and the, the commissioning of Gideon, giving him his task. And I want us to recognise how surprising this moment is. This is surprising grace because remember, here's the people who've forgotten God. Here's a group of people who are turning to idols. Here's a group of people with no sign of repentance. And yet God in his grace shows that he wants to save a people for himself and for his glory. But let's see how that promise, I am with you, uh, sort of features throughout this text. So look at the greeting in verse 12, the angel of the Lord. It said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you. There's the promise right there in the greeting. And that prompts the question from Gideon. That question, where is God when we need him? Why this crisis? We, we've heard about all that God did in the past, but why is God not with us now? Gideon at this point is failing to see that God actually was with them. He was with them in exposing their sin, exposing their idolatry and, and calling them back. But he's not seen that yet. 
Verse 14, here's his task. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? So there's that call and there's uh, God saying, I'm sending you. How does Gideon respond? He responds a lot like Moses, focusing on his own personal weakness. You know, my, my, my nation is weak, my family is weak, and I'm the weakest of the weak. But the response, verse 16, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites. He is a reminder, it's in God's power that he is the mighty warrior, in God's provision, God's strength and God's presence. But then verse 17, we see Gideon, a couple of times we see Gideon seeking assurance for his faith. And here's the first time. Gideon replied, if now I have found favour in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. And so what he says is, God, let me go and and prepare an an offering and bring it back. He wants assurance of God's favour and God's presence with him. And the response of God is dramatic. So he brings back some food. Verse 21, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. There is his question answered. God is powerful and God is present. God consumes the meal by way of answering. Gideon is is weak, his faith is weak, but God is strong and God is with him and God will work through him. It's good news, isn't it? Good news for us in our weakness. Perhaps we can think of uh, young children. If you have young children, you can think back to when your children were younger. Um, They are at times able to do hard things uh, that they uh, didn't think they were able to do so long as their parent is with them. Perhaps holding their hand, perhaps giving them reassurance, giving them strength. God's I am with you is intended to be a source of salvation and strength for God's people in every generation. It was true in the life of Jesus. Remember the time when he and his disciples were in a a raging storm and they woke Jesus up, don't you care if we drown? And Jesus um, spoke to the wind and the waves. Another time when they were out in a storm and Jesus came walking on the water and then he came into the boat. The point was they did not need to fear because Jesus, the I am, the I am God, Jesus who is God was with them. He was the answer to their fear. The story of of Gideon is a reminder to to you and to me today that to trust in Jesus is to know God's favour in our lives. That we enjoy God's grace, God's kindness, God's love as a free gift that we don't deserve but we receive by faith. To trust in Jesus is to enjoy his presence. That those words that Jesus said to his disciples are just as true for us. I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus sends the spirit to dwell in our hearts. So God comes to dwell in our hearts through faith. And when we're trusting in Jesus, we know his peace. Just as... Verse 22, Gideon realised, Alas, sovereign Lord, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You're not going to die. Gideon built an altar called the Lord is Peace. Knowing Jesus can, can speak peace to our troubled hearts. So today are we resting in? 
Are we trusting in Jesus as Lord and Saviour? Are we trusting him for our salvation? Is he our hope in life and death, in our trouble that we find ourselves today? Are we trusting in Jesus, the one who said, I am with you always? Now let's move from God's deliverer to think about God's mission. Now picture uh, the scene um, this nation has been in trouble and it's been in trouble for seven years. They're struggling to have enough to survive. They're, they're under the oppression of the Midianites. And the reasons have been declared, their forgetfulness, their idolatry. But now as an act of grace, the deliverer is on the scene. What would we expect the first task to be? What would we expect? Probably uh, sound the, the trumpet, let's go into battle. Let's call the army together for a council of war. But Gideon's first task is to deal with the problem in his own back garden. Verse 25, that same night the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Why start there? Why start so local when there's this great big national problem? Well, doesn't it go back to the sermon that came before the promised salvation. It goes to the root of the problem. The problem of, of idolatry, of forgetfulness, of placing hope and offering worship to things other than God. God desires national repentance. He's not just after their comfort and their political peace. So part one of God's mission for Gideon is about the battle for true worship in verse 25 to 32. He is to tear down the, the false worship um, the Asherah pole, the, the, the altar to Baal. He's to build a, an, an altar to the one true God and he's to sacrifice there. And that's a reminder that God is a jealous God. He is jealous for our love. He's jealous for the loyalty of people's hearts. It's a reminder that there's only one throne in our hearts and God will not share it. And Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money. It's also a reminder that there is only one true and powerful God. The story brings a, a wonderful defence from, from Gideon's dad. So uh, the people who are obviously, their hearts are turned to idols, actually want to kill Gideon because he deals with idolatry. It's a flip side of, of what God would want. But, but Gideon's dad in verse 31, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you going to try, are you trying to save him? If Baal really is a God, he can defend himself. If you need to save your God, if your God can be knocked over, if your God can be uh, ripped from you, your God is too small. Think about that in our own experience. It's a reminder too that their major problem was spiritual, not social. It's about a lack of love, not a lack of grain. They needed peace with God more than they needed peace um, from uh, Midianite battles. God wants true worship. God would have us then examine our hearts and our lives to think about what we are concerned about, concerned about for our family or for our nation. God would have true worship. The greatest problem we face is, is spiritual, not social. Do our prayers, do our concerns reflect that? What is it that, that I am trusting in really? 
Can I say that Jesus has first place in my heart and my life? Do I depend on him? As I'm working through the day and a, and a difficulty comes, am I praying to him and asking him for his wisdom and his peace and his guidance? Am I choosing loyalty to him? So Gideon's first battle is a battle for true worship. But then in verse 33 to 35, there's also a battle against the enemies. So the Midianites, Amalekites and other eastern peoples, they join forces against God's people. Verse 34, then this, the spirit of the Lord came on Gideon and he blew a trumpet and he summons the people to follow. Gideon is the spirit-filled deliverer and the people rallied to him in order to carry out God's plan. Question is though, why come to Gideon in his weakness? He's confessed he's weak. People know he's weak. They come because of God's spirit. They come because here is the answer to God's promise. Here is his power with and for Gideon. Here is his presence with and for Gideon. And so the people rally to this spirit-filled deliverer. And when we think about this happening, we fast forward uh, to the New Testament. We see, don't we, Gideon anticipates the work of Jesus in the gospel. Jesus, who, as he is baptised, is, is filled with the spirit without measure. Jesus, who from the beginning goes into battle against the forces of evil. We see it as he confronts um, the forces of, of demons and evil spirits. Uh, we see it ultimately as he goes to the cross, waging war against the forces of Satan and sin and death, and he triumphs over them at the cross. And we see that in his resurrection. And he breaks the power of sin so that as we are trusting in Jesus, we are able to truly love God again, to truly worship God again, if our faith is in him. The great battle that Jesus has won is a spiritual battle against those enemies that stand opposed to us and that would lead us away from God and towards destruction. But God in his love and grace and mercy sent Jesus so that by faith in him we might be made alive. So that's the, the mission that Gideon is on. It's a big mission, isn't it? And so perhaps in a sense it's not surprising that we see in our closing verses God's assurance to Gideon. Verse 36 to 40. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I'll place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there's dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, I'll know that you'll save Israel by my hand, as you said. Now, there's the question of, of the, the, the testing of God here, the question of what's going on with these fleeces, what do we do with this, what does it have to teach us? A couple of things I would say that it's not. I don't think Gideon here is being disobedient. Um, you know, as he looks for assurance for his faith. And I think we can say that because God answers by miracle, not just once, but twice. It's a good indication that he's not being disobedient. Um, this isn't also, these fleeces aren't about, am I, am I going to choose plan A or choose plan B? He's not testing God. He's not demanding signs to aid decision making. Sometimes I think we can sort of place that kind of burden, we can test God in that way. Well, if I'm supposed to do this, then make this and this and this happen. And we need to be careful about testing God in that way. And that's not what Gideon is doing. But it is, certainly is a reassuring. And you know, isn't it a wonderful reminder? Here is Gideon, who knows his own weakness, being asked to do a huge task. 
Um, and he's trusting that God is powerful enough to answer by miracle. And he's seeking reassurance. And God, what does he do? He stoops down to Gideon's level. He stoops down to, to answer him and to meet his need. God is willing to reassure his anxious children. To say in another way, I am with you and I will help you. God is our father and he loves us and he understands and he wants to, to care for and to protect uh, our faith and to reassure our faith. And God gives these two signs to strengthen faith. Uh, one time where uh, the fleece is wet and the ground is dry. The other time where the ground is dry and the fleece is wet. I don't know if I say that right. Um, and those signs then stand as assurance for Gideon. In our day, where do we look for this assurance of God's presence, God's favour, God being with us? We don't look to fleeces. We look to Jesus. We have questions, does God love me? Is he for me? Is he with me? Faith looks to Jesus. This morning, last Sunday of every month in our church, we share the Lord's Supper. We share a sign from God to strengthen our faith, the Lord's Supper. That reminder that God sent Jesus, Jesus gave his broken body and his shed blood that we might be forgiven, that we might have eternal life, that we might be part of his kingdom, that we might know his, his love and communion and enjoyment of his presence forever. God sent his son to deliver us. And since he has done that, we can know that he is with us and that he is for us. So we're invited like Gideon to trust. To trust him, even when we feel our faith is weak, to recognise that we trust in a strong, an infinitely strong saviour. So the people in Gideon's day, they got a sermon before salvation. In our story, God sent his word to convict the people, uh, to cut them to the heart, to expose their sin and their idolatry with the aim that they would repent, they would turn away from those things and turn back to the living God, that they'd be restored into fellowship with him. Is that a message that you need to hear today? Do you need to be restored to God? Do you need to repent of sin and idolatry? To have faith in God, to have faith in Jesus, his son. And then God in his grace sent his deliverer, sent his saviour, promised his salvation, anticipating the work of Jesus, the greater deliverer, the greater saviour. Are you trusting him today? you trusting Jesus as saviour? Are you resting in his presence with you? Do you know his strength made perfect in your weakness? Are you taking heart from that promise, I am with you always? God's word convicts, but God's word also speaks that wonderful promise of gospel salvation in Jesus. Let's pray. 
Dear God, we thank you for your word, that word that convicts, that word that also points us away from ourselves and our sin towards Jesus and your plan of salvation. May we be looking to him in faith. May we rest in, trust in that promise that you're the God who says, I am with you. I am with you always. May we be enabled to live by faith, knowing the strength and the help that you provide. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we close our time, uh, we will sing. Uh, first of all, we'll sing Christ, the sure and steady anchor. And then we will sing uh, version A of Psalm 1. the storm. 
Blessed is the one who turns away from where the wicked walk, who does not stand in sinners' paths or sit with those who mock. Instead, he finds God's holy law, his joy and great delight. He makes the precepts of the study day and night. He prospers ever like a tree that's planted by a stream. And in due season yields its fruit its leaves are always green. Not so the wicked, they are like the chaff that's blown away. They will not stand when judgment comes or with the righteous stay. It is the Lord who sees and knows the way the righteous goes.